Well, I hope you know what the word quicken means. It means to be made alive or to be awakened. And uh, it is a perfect word dealing with the subject matter of revival. And uh, it comes from, well, there's different portions of the Psalms, but strongly Psalm 119. You'll see where the psalmist frequently says, uh, quicken me, O Lord. And that's what the heartbeat is behind that song. So I appreciate uh, Pastor Peter allowing us to uh, learn that together as a group, as a congregation this week. And uh, I am glad that uh, you, you uh, put your heart into that and I hope that you can learn it as the week goes on. It's great to see you back tonight. Thank you for coming. I got to be honest, when I pulled in tonight, I was looking for a place to park and I had plenty of places to choose. And I said, well... Uh, there'll be about three of us here, maybe. I don't know. I don't know how this works. But boy, I tell you, here you are, and it's great. I have no idea uh, uh, where you have parked or whatever. It, I guess it doesn't make any difference. Thank you again, Brother Ben. And so I am just uh, uh, glad that you're here. What a great morning. What a great afternoon. You guys, I agree with your pastor. It was a joy to watch the church family in action uh, not just eating, but uh, uh, cleaning and, and, and enjoying one another and uh, taking care of the kids and, uh, and just being a blessing to so many. To me and to Lynn, uh, you're such a blessing. And I, I'm grateful for uh, the opportunity to have met several of you. Now, there's a, there's a handful of you I just said howdy to, you know, and that sort of thing. But, uh, and I don't really have a name with everybody. And so I hope to get to get some names and faces and get them connected with you uh, and to get to know you. Can't wait till tomorrow. We'll have a great time at the park. And uh, it's at one o'clock as he just announced. And as you know better than I do, and you know how it works. And it's kind of unique to, to be at a church during the Labor Day week, to have opportunities to do something a little different. The corn roast today and uh, the uh, picnic as a church tomorrow. And so and all that, I, I just thoroughly enjoy. I don't come with a preset package and say, oh, we got to do it this way or it just... We won't have a good meeting. No, I love to jump in and be a part of a church family and to see you in action and to be able to uh, uh, see the uh, church picnic in action tomorrow. It'll be fun. We'll look forward to that. And then um, for Lynn to speak to the ladies on Tuesday, that'll be a delight as well. Hope that you'll plan to be here for everything. Uh, now, tomorrow is the, obviously the picnic, but uh, Tuesday night and Wednesday night, plan to be back, would you? We'll look forward to seeing you here and uh, you probably will be. But if you're just a Sunday attender, uh, I hope, or a member, I hope that you'll put it in your plans to uh, be here for all the other events. You say, well, I don't, you know, I don't, what if I can't come? Well, hey, somebody knows where you live. We're coming after you. So it, it would be really wise on your part <laughs> if you plan to be here, all right? And that'll be great. We'll look forward to seeing you here. Hey, this morning, your pastor shared with me something that thrilled my heart, and that is that you have been going through the gospel of Mark together as a church family. And I told him what I'll tell you right now. For right now, this could change. As you would know, things change through the years. Right now, Mark is my favorite of the four gospel writers. My wife has heard me say that, oh, I don't know, 10,000 times. I, I love the gospel of Mark. It's fast moving. Key word, as I'm sure you've been told, is the word straightway, which means immediately, boom, boom, boom. Other pe some, somebody has said that the book of Mark is, are the memoirs of Peter. That is, Peter was instrumental in, in uh, shooting uh, the events 
uh, of, of the life of Christ to John Mark as Mark was moved by the Spirit of God to write the words that we have in front of us. Not too long ago, as I was meditating and going through the Gospel of Mark, I saw something that has been helpful for me, and I, I, I have asked the Lord uh, all afternoon, is this what we need to look at tonight? And it is. So we're going to go all the way back to the very first chapter of Mark. Could you go back there? I know you've already studied it as a church family, but uh, as we will gather together, I hope that this will be something that will be instrumental in helping you to see something. I love the encounters with Jesus Christ, divine encounters, as I mentioned this morning. And in this particular section of Mark 1, we're going to see again, more of the divine encounters with the Lord Jesus. But the divine experience with Jesus, I want you to see. I love the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I mean, I love them. I love to go on a mental, sanctified imagination journey with Jesus. I, I love to picture the sights of what the crowds look like, what his teaching must have looked like when he was speaking to his disciples, what it was like to be on a boat on the Sea of Galilee when the storm came up and it was dark and scary for the disciples. I, 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 love, I, love, the, I love to just walk through these experiences and wonder what it would have been like to actually heard him speak. I like what one preacher said. He's with the Lord now, but he said, you know, I want to know the Lord so well that when I get to heaven and I actually hear his voice for the first time, I want to be able to say, I've heard that voice before. He wasn't actually talking about the actual audible sound of the voice of Jesus. He just wants to know him. He wanted to know him so well that he could, he could hear the, the pathos, the, 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 the passion, the encouragement, the correction, the words of Jesus in his own soul. And so as we come to Mark chapter 1, we're going to read something here that I hope will be helpful for you. It's been a help to me. It's been corrective in nature in my life. It's been instructive in my life. And I hope it will be for you. We're going to read a section of Mark 1 that covers basically and practically a 24-hour period in the life of Jesus. Notice, if you would, please, beginning in verse, tw verse 21, it says this. And they went into Capernaum. Again, I mentioned it this morning, Capernaum was that city that Jesus really basically adopted as his, as his home after he left Nazareth. He more than likely stayed at Peter and Andrew's home for the most part whenever he was there. It says here, they went into Capernaum. At this point, he's only got four disciples Simon, Andrew, Peter, Simon, Peter, Andrew, and James and John. He says, it went into, went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue and taught. Jesus did that often. He, he would sit in the seat of Moses. In every synagogue, they had a, a, a chair for the synagogue rabbi the one that was going to teach that day, to sit in the seat of Moses. He would be given a, a, 
uh, a scroll that he would read from and then he would teach from and preach from. And in every synagogue, that seat of Moses was turned, depending on whatever synagogue in any city was in, it was always turned to the direction whoever sat in it was facing Jerusalem. Now, you couldn't see Jerusalem from Capernaum, but it was faced toward Jerusalem. Interesting, I think. Jesus came to die, and he knew that he would go to Jerusalem. And it says here, he taught, verse 22, and they were astonished at his doctrine, his teaching, for he taught them as one that had authority. And here's that statement I mentioned this morning, and not as the scribes. And there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. Stop right there. Jesus has been teaching. The people are just sitting there. They're just in total amazement at hearing him instruct from the word of God. This is incredible. This is wonderful. And then all of a sudden into the synagogue comes a demon-possessed man, probably certainly more than one demon, and the demons cry out, I know who you are. And he says there, the demons say, are you going to destroy us? Interesting, the demons know there's coming a day. There's coming a day when they will be cast into outer darkness of the lake of fire. And they were simply saying, is it time? Are you going to destroy us? We know who you are. You're Jesus of Nazareth. We know you're the son of God. Verse 25, and Jesus rebuked him saying, hold your peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And it says, and they were all amazed. You know, there are portions in the Bible I want to write in the margin. I want to say, no kidding. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, the demons come out of this man and he collapsed on the floor. And they were all amazed. Now, don't let that slip you by. In fact, the word amazed means more than shock. Surprise, it's a word that also means a little bit frightened. I mean, this was a fearful event. Well, I guess so. It was a frightening experience to the point that they, they started asking questions. You know, who is this man? What's going on here? My family accuses me as they think my middle name is question because I'm always asking questions. Well, these people were asking questions. It says here in verse, uh, where am I? Verse 26. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. They were all amazed insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, what thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately, there's that word, his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. Now, his time in the synagogue on the Sabbath is finished. It's time for the Sabbath meal. So what's he going to do? Verse 29. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. So they've got room for all these people coming in. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever and a nun. That's what my translation says here. And a nun, they tell him of her. That word a nun means 
immediately. It's again that key word. Immediately they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And immediately the fever left her and she ministered unto them. Now, folks, again, you got to use, you got to put yourself into these events. Throw yourself into the story. Picture this. You know, I, you know, when you get over a sickness, most of the time you're going to go, oh, whew, oh, this, okay, man. Yeah, give me, yeah, give me a few minutes. That's not the case. She just gets up and says, okay, let's get the lasagna ready to start serving. I mean, you know, and, and I think that's hidden in the Greek, but I mean, I mean, she, she just jumps up and she starts, she starts serving immediately, totally healed. And things are beginning to hop around that house. Okay, nobody's going to bother them during the Sabbath meal. Everybody goes to their Sabbath, to their homes for their Sabbath meal. But now look what happens. It says in verse 32, and at even, that means when it got dark, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. They see, they, they had seen what he had done in the synagogue. So here they show up at Peter's home. And all the city was gathered together at the door. Historians tell us up to 1,500 people lived in Capernaum around this time. Now, it says all the city showed up. Now, I, I'm not going to argue with the scriptures. I just, I, I mean, all the kids, all the children, all the adults, all the people. I mean, I, mean, I mean, I don't know if all 1,500 or whatever lived there showed up, but they, it was a mob. It was a crowd of people. They all showed up. And it says in verse 34, and he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. Now, in Luke's portion of this story, Luke tells us that Jesus spent time with each individual, each individual. This was not some yahoo like you see on some, I hope. I wouldn't recommend that you watch the TV boys that, that uh, uh, they wave their hands at a crowd of people and they all fall back. That's, that's phony baloney stuff. Uh, Jesus didn't do that. He didn't wave his hands at the crowd. He spent time with each individual. Can you picture that? Several hundred people there. I would like to think that Jesus had some sleep that night. How long did this go? Next verse, 35. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him, you can already see his leadership, they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, when they found Jesus, they didn't know where he was, they found him. They said unto him, all men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let's, let us go into the next towns. That word towns means little villages. That I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out demons, out, cast out devils. As I said a while ago, this is covering about a 24-hour period in the life of Jesus in these, first, in these first few verses of Mark 1. 
I don't know if you have a watch on your wrist. I've discovered that a lot of young people, teenagers, don't carry don't have watches much anymore. They got their phones, and maybe you have gotten to that point to where you don't even even have a watch. I still like a watch on my wrist and everything, but some people like just look at their phone, see what time it is, and so forth and everything. You know, it's an amazing thing. These little things called watches. You ever thought about them? I mean, I'm old enough to remember, and I hate to even declare myself as a dinosaur, but I remember, I remember the days in which you had a watch in which you had to do this with the stem on the end to get it wound up so it would, uh, it would be wound up for the next, say, 24-hour period, you know, and you could wind it. Usually in the mornings, you'd just wind it up and it'd stay with you. And then somebody invented something. They invented the springs and the, and the cogs inside. that They fixed it to where if you, you know, had your wrist active during the day, uh, you could just kind of keep your arm busy like this. And just moving your wrist would cause everything to turn and spin, and you could keep it, you could keep it active to where it would not run out of juice, out of power, and it would keep on going. And, and, then, and then I can remember as a boy, they had a watch that I got in which you could put it underneath a lamp just before going to bed. You could, you could get a lamp to light it on, that, on, on your watch. And then when you turn off all the lights in your room, you could look at your watch and it would be the fluorescent. It would just shine. You could see what time it was. I loved that. I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. Look, in the darkness of my room, I can still see my watch and see what time it is. It's so cool. Oops. Talk about a thing of the past. I mean, I got a watch like many of you would have. I can just pull it up and it lights up for me. It's amazing what these things do these days. My wife got me this special uh, watch that most, a lot of people have these days. I mean, it does all kinds of things. We were talking on the way to church. We left the hotel uh, uh, tonight and, and I said, uh, how many steps do we have? And I just looked at my watch. Ding, you know, there it is. 12 million, there we go. I must have walked a lot uh, this morning on the platform. I, I may be stretching that a little bit. I don't think it was quite that much. It tells you how many steps you've taken. I can check my heart rate. Ding. Oh, hey, look at there. You know, someone's not paying attention in church. Oh, there goes my heart rate. You know, you know, you know I, can, I can keep an eye on my heart rate. I can. Um, I can read emails right here on my watch. Fascinating. Just fascinating. I can check my text messages. I can read a text message. Man, I can take a phone call on my watch. I mean, it's connected with my, my phone, and, and I, it, it, it'll start blah, 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 you know, ringing if I'm, if I'm away from my phone or something, and I'll, I can click on it. I mean, I talked to my wife the other day, and I said, yeah, you know, I felt like Dick Tracy. Do you know what I'm talking about? Can I get a witness, the old cartoon guy, you know, talking on his watch? This is amazing. Young people, you'll need to Google that later on. You don't know what I'm talking about. Um, I can, uh, I can uh, check the weather. Oh, okay, you know. I, can, I, I got an app on here that tells me that it's time to, you know, I need to exercise. I got an exercise app. It keeps me uh, actively going. I love to exercise, and I check that. It, it, it uh, has a little ring on here. It lets me know that if I'm getting the exercise in. And if I'm slow to get started, it'll send me a little message. You know, by this time yesterday, you were already busy and exercised. You, you need to get up, lazy man, you know, or something like that. I got an app on here that tells me to breathe. I mean, it's, just, it's time to breathe. I, it's like I want to say, oh, good, thank you for reminding me. I, I almost forgot. I'm supposed to breathe, you know? Thank you for that. I mean, I don't know how many things this thing does. It does all kinds of things. I feel like I'm forgetting something. Oh, yeah, it tells me what time it is. That's the thing it was meant to do to begin with. 
Does time fascinate you? Does time capture you? Does it enslave you? I got to thinking about this. I've, an event took place in my life when I was an 11-year-old boy. It altered me. It changed me for the rest of my life. You say, what happened? My dad passed away. Every little boy thinks his dad can almost walk on water. And when you're an 11-year-old kid, it's, it, was, it was a life-altering for me. My mom actually made the statement, because I was the only boy in the family, she said, I'm going to be looking to you. You're now the man of the house. What she was trying to say was, I'm going to need your help. Can I tell you from that point on, I've been a driven individual when it comes to time. I want to maximize every minute I've got. I don't want to waste a minute. I want every breath that I take to count. I've just kind of been that way to the chagrin of my family sometimes because I don't slow down to smell the roses along the way, the flowers or whatever along the way. I'm just driven, got to get to the next spot, you know. Oh, can we stop and look at that? Yeah, just look at it as we drive by, you know. It's just, I'm driven. Other people, time is something that it, their philosophy, their thoughts are, there's not enough time in the day to get everything done that I want to do. I've been there many times. No pun intended. I've, I, I've thought, I, I've got more things on my list to do than I've got time in the day to do it. I've had moments, like some of you, who I've had thoughts like, I wish I didn't have to go to sleep at night. I wish I didn't have to sleep. Well, the truth is, time offers to us the importance of sleep and rest as well. Five years ago, is that correct? Four and a half years ago, the doctor told me that I had cancer. A thing called multiple myeloma, a cancer of my bloodstream of my bone marrow, blood plasma cancer. It shook us again. I'm in remission, and after a year of fighting it, the doctor just looks at me now and he says, you're healthy. I don't even know what I'm doing trying to talk to you. He just says, everything looks good on you. And I said, thanks, doctor. Everything's good now, but I'm telling you, for a full year fighting cancer, it concerned me because I found myself thinking, how much longer do I have here? How much time do I have left? You know what I've discovered? Time is a gift from God. And it's to be enjoyed. It is. And it's to be employed in ministry. And those two words are, a sermon, are sermons in themselves. I think of Paul who told his friends in Philippi, in the church at Philippi, he told them, you've lost your joy. Well, you're doing everything you're supposed to do, but you're, you're not rejoicing in the Lord like you used to. And he was telling them, and Paul is writing from a prison, and he's saying, I'm in a prison, but I'm having the time of my life just telling people about my Savior. Time is to be enjoyed. So don't feel guilty if you, if you leave church and go, man, I, is it okay for me to say I really loved that song we sang, you know, Ferris, Lord Jesus, or my Jesus, I love thee, or something like that. No, no, it's to be enjoyed. Every once in a while you may see somebody in a song service, they're just being deeply moved and, and rejoicing in the Lord, and they may go, oh, God, I love you. Let them rejoice in the Lord. 
But time is also to be employed. We're not to be lazy. We're not to waste our days. I've been a person who have, has often wondered, how can I get you know, 25 hours out of a 24-hour day? And it gets me in trouble sometimes. I don't want to waste my life. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said early on in his life, he said in John 9 and verse 4, he said this, I must work the works of him that sent me. Jesus had a job to do. And then at the end of his life, he said in John 17 and verse 4, he said, I have finished the work thou gavest me to do. I want to say that too. So often I have felt like I have not used my time like I should. I've gone to, I've gone to conferences and sometimes I've gone to workshops on time management. You ever seen anything like that? I've gone to educators' conferences and they'll have a workshop on time management and I'll be there. I want to be there. I want to learn how to be a better manager of my time. Especially when I was younger, when I, had a, uh, I was a husband, I was a father to children at home, and, and I was a youth pastor to a group of teenagers, and, and I was an assistant pastor in the church, and, and I had all these things. I was trying to get everything accomplished and so forth, and, and I, I just I wanted to learn how do I manage my time, and I'd sit in these workshops, and, they, and they'd give us some guidance and direction, and I'd be taking all these notes, and they'd recommend some book on time management. Man, I'd buy the book. You say, did you ever read it? No, I didn't have time. But I, 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 I was just so consumed with trying to learn how to use my time carefully and wisely. And then one day, it dawned on me. You never see Jesus frantic. You never see Jesus worried. Oh, boy, how am I going to get everything done? You never see Jesus biting his fingernails saying, I got so much to do. You never seen Jesus get frustrated with somebody and say, keep up with me. Never. Jesus accomplished everything he was supposed to do. And I just walked you through a 24-hour period, and here's what I discovered. Jesus had priorities. And sometimes we get so consumed with our day-to-day grind that we forfeit the things that ought to be our priorities. What were the priorities in the life of Jesus? You know what they are? They're compelling. They're compelling to me. They grab my heart. And they are, the, one of the, 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 they are anchors in my frenetic brain sometimes. Don't forsake the priorities of Jesus. Well, what were they? Well, you're going to make, it's going to sound like I'm talking about basic Christianity that tonight, Christianity 101, but I'm going to tell you something. They were priorities in the life of Jesus, and they ought to be with me and you. Look at chapter 1 with me. Look at verse 35. It says, and rising up a great while before day, excuse me, and in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary, that means a private place, and there prayed. What, what do we have here? Can I just tell you something here? It says in getting up a great while before day. It means it was still dark, believe it or not. 
Maybe you could begin to see the shadows, the shades of, of sunlight beginning to peek through some of the clouds because this was during the fourth watch of the night. You say, whoop-de-doo, what does that mean? Sometime between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. I repeat, I'd like to think Jesus got some sleep. And can I remind you how busy his previous hours were? He taught in the synagogue. Anybody who ever teaches, anyone who ever preaches will tell you it's, it's work. It's hard work. Because you're not just saying words, you're expressing yourself and you're trying to keep people engaged and, you, and you've worked at communicating. And Jesus did just that. Not only that, he delivered a man from demon possession. Not only that, he went to Peter's home and lifted up his mother-in-law, uh, Peter's mother-in-law, uh, back to, uh, uh, to, to full strength. And, and he was busy and active, and he was running around, uh, not running around, he was busy in the house enjoying the meal. And then the crowd showed up, and he began to heal one at a time. He began to deliver uh, them from their demons, and he was spending time with them. And then getting up sometime between 3 and 6 a.m., now, do I know what time he got up? No, I don't know. I don't know if it was closer to three or closer to six, but Jesus got up to do what? He knew if I'm going to accomplish what I'm supposed to accomplish today, I've got to spend time with my father. And he went out to some private place to pray. And nobody knew where he was. He must have quietly slipped out of Simon Peter's home and didn't awaken anybody and got out. And Peter came and the other disciples came and they said, hey, we got the crowd gathering back at the house. Come on, Jesus, uh, let's, let's make much of this. Let's make hay while we can. This is big. And Jesus says, no, let's go to the next towns and let me preach there too. He started his day off, number one, with the private practice of prayer. You see, to Jesus, spending time with his father was not just something that was good. It was a necessity. Jesus didn't say, now, Father, you know how busy I am down here. <clears throat> you sent me here, and I'm here, and I've got a lot to do, and these people are demanding, so please keep up with me. No, that's not, the, that's not what's going on. He went to a solid, solitary, private place to spend time with his father. Why? Because he wanted to praise him. He wanted to adore him. Do you do that in your prayer? Or do you just immediately get to your list of things you need God to do? More importantly, do you really pray? Are you spending time with the Lord in prayer? And I'll share more things on Wednesday night during the prayer meeting time. But I'm going to ask you something. Is this a priority in your life? It was in the life of Jesus. You say, but Morris, if you only knew how many people are pulling for my time, if you only knew what my schedule was, I am so busy. More busy than Jesus. You know, I think for all of us, we need to pause and tap the spiritual brakes from time to time and evaluate our prayer life. No guilt trip intended here tonight. I'm just asking you to evaluate just exactly what is your prayer life all about? He worshiped, praised his father. He loved him. He adored him. What else did he do? Well, there's one thing that we do that he never had to do. He never had to confess sin. But then Jesus prayed for his disciples. He told Peter, I have prayed for you. He prayed for him. 
He prayed for his enemies. You say, now how do you know that? Well, on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He prayed for those who despised him. Can I tell you something else? He prayed for you. Oh, now you say, now you've lost your mind, Glycer. There's no way. He you know, no. Go read John 17 and you'll find where Jesus prayed for his disciples. And he said, and for all those that will be impacted by their touch and their words and their teaching. You see, friends, Jesus knew that they would be writing scriptures and he was praying for us. And the Bible tells us in Romans 8 that he intercedes for us. He he prays for us. He stands before on the right hand of the throne of heaven and he says, now, now, Father, I told Morris, I told my child, I told my daughter, I told them that through my name, because I shed my blood for them and here's my piercings, I told them that they could talk to you. I, they, he intercedes for us. Jesus got up and he prayed. What's your prayer life like? Does it need a wake-up call tonight? Now, if you, if, you want to, if you want to live in spiritual defeat, then just ignore what we're looking at, okay? Now, I'm not trying to be unkind here, but if you don't want to live in victory, then don't worry about this. If you want to live in insecurity, hey, I tell you what, if you want to be a worrier, you say, oh, no, are you... Are you going to preach on worry? Don't worry about it. The truth is a lot of us are worriers, What's, what's going on in this world? What's going to happen if this person gets elected? What happens if this law passes? What happens if this, what happens, what happens if I lose my job? What happens if the car won't start? What happens, some lady thinks, if my husband dies before I do? Now, if you want to live in worry, then don't, don't concern yourself about prayer. Don't be a person that prays. But if you do want to live in victory over sin, if you do want to be a person who knows what it is to live in peace, if you do want to be a person who has wisdom to make the right kind of decisions, if you do want to have power in your testimony to where you can tell others about him and see lives changed through your words, if you want that, then you got to learn how to pray. You say, what do you mean, learn how to pray? It starts like this. Go spend time with him and talk to him. Know what it is to interact with him. i tell you something, friend. I, I don't want to ever get cancer again. Never. I spent an entire year at home. This is what I do. I preach. But I didn't have any. I couldn't. Didn't have the strength. Didn't have the energy. I was fighting cancer for an entire year. I don't want to ever get cancer again. But I will tell you, I'm glad I got cancer. You said, oh, you're making it up. No, I'm going to tell you something. I learned some things about prayer. I'd go for long walks because I didn't have any schedule except when I had to go see a doctor. I learned what it was like just to spend time with God and to look at his creation and say, you are so almighty and powerful. Oh, God, I love to look at that sunshine coming up. Oh, Jesus, I love you. I love you, Lord God. I it was a joy to walk with God. I, I'm, not, I'm no expert in prayer. But I'm grateful for some things I've learned. I'm talking about something that I feel like I'm in elementary school trying to teach a, a postgraduate study subject. I'm telling you, I don't know everything about prayer that I want to, but I'm ever trying to increase my knowledge. Immerse yourself in prayer. When you wake up in the middle of the night, don't get mad. Wonder, is there a reason why God just woke me up? Lord, please, 
that person I'm burdened, that neighbor I'm concerned about, that child that's away from you, God, I'm praying for them right now. Talk to him at all times of the day and night. Get you a journal and write down things and, and start asking God to answer uh, some things and write them down and then find out later on. And when he answers them, write down off to the side how he answered that prayer and put down the date when you prayed and when he answered. Have you ever seen anybody famous? You ever seen anybody that's, you know, really a famous individual? Maybe I, I see them sometimes in airports and, and so forth. I, I've ridden on planes. I, I rode on a plane with Ron Howard. Does that name ring a bell to you? Uh, some of us remember him as Opie, others as Richie Cunningham. He's a famous Hollywood director. He rode on the pl I rode on the plane with him. You say, did you talk to him? Yeah, I did. I'm just crazy about stuff. I just can't help but not talk to somebody like that. I just... Uh, I said to him, how you doing? And you know what he said? He said, good, how about you? I said, I'm good. And that was it. That's all we talked about. I mean, we didn't say anything more. I mean, that's all we talked about. But I had a conversation with Ron Howard. I spoke with Tony Dungy. Uh, used to be the coach of the Indianapolis Colts, and, and now he's a, uh, he's a, uh, an, uh, he's a, an a NFL analyst for NBC, and he's got a great Christian testimony. He's a godly man. He really is. And I called him. We talked on the phone for a good long time. He invited me to come and speak to the Indianapolis Colts uh, for a chapel sometime. And uh, we just had a great talk. We really did. It was great. I, I talked to him. I've met, uh, I met R Pat Riley in an airport. He was not that nice. Uh, if you know anything about basketball, I met him there. I, I, I rode on a plane and saw Hulk Hogan once. Yeah, sure did. I've seen some famous people. I've talked to some so-called famous people. Hey, I, I got something else for you. I got to talk to the Lord today. You see, we kind of get fascinated with famous people. Has it ever dawned on you, the one to whom you're speaking when you go to prayer? He spoke, and billions of galaxies came into being. And you can talk to him. And you're calling on him to focus in on one individual or on one circumstance that's a burden on your heart. That one you're speaking to. And I'm afraid sometimes we just say the same old words that we've always said. Lord, we ask that you please bless my life and uh, please guard us and, and guide us and lead us and direct us. Know what it is to get to know your God. It was a priority in the life of Jesus. Number two. If that was a priority in the life of Christ, what else was? Well, when Jesus was in the synagogue, he taught and proclaimed the word of God. When the disciples, when Peter and the others came to him, they said, Jesus, we got we to gotta get back to the house. The crowds are gathering. Look at verse, look at verse uh, 38. And he said unto them, let us go into the next little villages, the next towns, that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. And he preached in their synagogues. Go to chapter 2 and notice in verse 1. And again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And... 
he preached the word unto them. Now, you're not a preacher, probably. There's a handful that may be in this room that are, but for the most part, you're not a preacher. So you say, no, Morris, I can't, I can't make that a priority because God didn't call me to preach. Okay, that's not the point. Notice what he proclaimed. It was the word of God. I told you this is basic Christianity 101, but what's my point? Let me tell you what a priority was in the life of Jesus. It was the place and the predominance of the word of God. God's word had to be proclaimed. Hey, Jesus, come back. Come back to the house and let's, let's, let's heal more people. You, 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 do, do your thing. And Jesus said, no, I'm going to go proclaim the word. The word of God was a priority in the life of Jesus. He would say to people, have you not read? Did you not read this? He told people, he said, I have come to fulfill the law. I know the law. He says, I've come to fulfill it. I'm going to live perfectly the law of Moses and the law of God. He knew the Bible. He proclaimed it. It was predominant in his life. He, he sat in that chair of Moses and he exhorted obedience from the word of God. He encouraged the saints from the word of God. Friends, he explained the scriptures from the word of God. You say, Morris, what's that got to do with me? How, how predominant is the Bible in your life? Let me put it down on the bottom shelf again. Husbands and wives ought to periodically just say to each other things like, hey, let me tell you what the Lord gave me in his word. Can I share with you what the Lord gave me? You ought to be able to sit still and, and encourage one another through Bible principles and by Bible teaching. You ought to be able to spend time with, the, with your children, those who have children at home, and explain to them what the Bible says and what it means to be an exhorter. You ought to, with your grandkids, be more than a clean car and free ice cream whenever they want it. They don't have a clean car. You know, there's French fries and M&Ms all over their family car. But your car's kept clean, you know. You ought to be more than a clean car and ice cream. You ought to be someone who takes them to the word of God. You ought to be a person who knows what it is to think biblically, to speak biblically. Did you know this? I know you do. The word of God improves your life. Uh, the Bible speaks of itself that it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of your heart. What in the world does that have to do with me and you? It means, it says it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It means this, it goes down into your being and it reveals your own thoughts to yourself. It shows you that your thinking is not right. The word of God corrects your thinking. But not only does it reveal your thoughts, it reveals God's thoughts to you. It's a discerner of the thoughts, intents of the heart. It's sharper. It goes down deep. You ever had an MRI? That's like an x-ray on steroids. It goes down deep. You ever had a biopsy? Forgive me for these medical terms. I used to not ever know anything about them, but I've learned about them. Uh, a biopsy drills down deep and goes into a person's life and finds out things. I, I had some radiation, and my doctor told me, he said, the things that are coming out of your, out of your bone, forgive me for the graphic of that. He says, the, the, the radiation will go in there down deep, and he says, it will just melt away the, the cancerous tumor or the outgrowth coming out of your bones. 
the Word of God goes down deep. It explores who you are. Let me tell you what this book does. It comforts you. It puts its arms around you and holds you. It's the Lord's Word. There's no book like this. I tell you what else it does. It directs you. Every major decision I've ever made about a ministry change or about getting married, about what college to go to, God gave me passages of scriptures that showed me the direction I needed to go. It's a, it's a guide. It's a comforter. It's a corrector. And it's a coal of fire to keep your heart aflame. There were two disciples walking on the Emmaus Road and they were so distraught and they were so discouraged because Jesus the Savior, their Savior, had died. Oh, there was rumblings that people had even seen him resurrected from the dead. But how could that be true? And they're walking along and all of a sudden a stranger walks with them. They didn't know it was Jesus. And this stranger says, no, no, well, what's wrong with you two? And the disciples said, well, well, where have you been? Didn't you hear what's gone on in Jerusalem? Jesus of Nazareth, he's our Savior. He was crucified. The religious leaders had him crucified and he died. And all of a sudden, this stranger, the Bible says, beginning at Moses, that means at the beginning of the Bible, <clears throat> and beginning at Moses, he opened the scriptures to them. He didn't have actual copy in his hands. He began to say to them, Moses said this was going to happen. And the prophets said this was going to happen. And the psalmist said this was going to happen. And he revealed Christ to them, the sent one, the Messiah. He went through the scriptures to them. And, and, then, and then they came to kind of a fork in the road. And this stranger said, well, you have a good day. And they said, no, 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 no. We want to hear more of this. Come to our home. And they took him uh, to their home. That's kind of why I think it was a husband and wife. The Bible tells us the name of the man. We don't get the other person's name. They, they were both disciples. Anyway, they got into uh, their home there in Emmaus, and they sat down, and, and Jesus took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and then he was gone. He vanished out of their sight. And those two disciples said, that was the Lord. And one of them said, well, of course it was. Did not our hearts burn Within us, when? When he talked to us and opened up the scriptures to us. Friends, this is, this is the kind of heartburn you want. Scriptural heartburn. When was the last time you read the Bible and you said, where have I been? That is great. Lord, thank you for that. That's a sweet truth. What a great promise. Oh, oh Lord, I hear you. You're correcting me. God, I, I hear you. You're warning me. I see what you're saying. When was the last time God spoke to you through his word? Through the teaching of it, the preaching of it, the reading of it. This book improves your life. It corrects your pathway. It will, it will reveal your spiritual condition. One more thing and I'll go. I have a mom. She's with the Lord now. My mom Though she corrected me when I was a little kid, as I got older, my mom, bless her heart, thought I could do hardly anything wrong. I mean, she thought I did nothing wrong. If, if she was ever in the area where I was preaching, she'd be there, and she called everybody she knew. My Morris is preaching. Oh, you got to come hear him preach. And I'd say, Mom, you need to back off on all. And, um, and she'd say, I'm going to tell him. And, and she, she just kind of put me up on this pedestal, you know, and thought, oh, she would just smile. 
smile at almost anything I did. And, you know, if I listened to everything mom said, some of you moms are, are prone to do this. My kid, my, you will when they grow up, I promise. Uh, right now, not so much. But, I mean, I, you, you say, oh, my precious boy and my girl, they're just wonderful. And I, I, you hear all that stuff, and then all of a sudden I begin to read my Bible, and I found out, I'm not so hot. You know, my mom had me appear. The Word of God reveals to me what I'm really all about. They're nothing special. Only by the grace of God, I am who I am. Let me tell you something. A priority in the life of Jesus was the place of and the predominance of the Word of God. And with this, I'm finished. Not only the private practice of prayer and the place and predominance of the Word of God, but there's one more thing. And that is, this was a priority. I mean, when everything else in the world is coming at you, this was a priority in the life of Jesus. What was that? A personal passion for people. Jesus loved people. Do people irritate you? Be honest with yourself. I'm guilty. You know, we live in a world that's like a hospital. People are sin sick. And people irritate us and people aggravate us and, and we wish that somebody would straighten up the world and make them be more like me. You know, that's what we think. Jesus had a passion for people. You see it all over the, this section, 24-hour period of time. He, the demon-possessed man, he delivered him of the, of the demons. Uh, Peter's mother-in-law, he lifted her up and healed her. The crowd gathered around the door. He had time for each individual. Why? Because he loved and cared for people. I could show you other passages. I'm just taking you through the 24-hour period. Never one time does Jesus say, I don't have time for these people. People are just going to have to find some other time. I don't have time. You're irritating me. No. This was the life of Christ. He, he saw people the way he supposed to see them, the way we're supposed to see them. Have you ever wondered how we reach people in our day and age? Have you ever looked at the world and wondered, what is happening to our world? What's happening to our country? What's happening to our state? What's happening to our cities? Well, what, well, how do I reach this world? Some people, their philosophy is, well, I'm going to stay completely away from the world, have nothing to do with the world, just stay clear away from them, have nothing to do with them whatsoever, and hope that somehow or another they'll ever they'll get the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, they're never going to get it if they don't interact with me and you, believers. Oh, you say, no, okay, then that's not the answer. The answer is, okay, yeah, I'm going to be around them at work and at the parks, and, 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 and I'm going to be around the lost crowd, but I need to be so different. I need to be odd. I need to be so particularly strange, so different from them that they look at me and they go, ooh, you know, you're really different from me. You know, there's no indication here that Jesus looked different than any other Jewish man living in the Roman Empire. His hair didn't look different. His clothing didn't look any different. Now, he didn't laugh at what they laughed at. He didn't laugh like a worldling and laugh at things that are inappropriate. But Jesus did not. He didn't come across as some kind of an odd character. That's what irritates me about those old sacred paintings. They got Jesus with this serious look. It looks like there's some kind of a plate behind his head, you know, and his hair is down past his shoulders, you know. If Jesus really looked like that, then Judas Iscariot would have said to the soldiers when they went into the Garden of Gethsemane, um, 
instead of him saying, I'll, I'll show you the one he is by kissing him on the cheek, he would have just said, he's the strange looking one over there with long hair and the dinner plate behind his head, you know. <laughs> Jesus didn't act odd. How are you going to reach the world? Stay away from them. Maybe kind of throw a gospel track at them. Say, here, read this. Stay away from me. You're going to reach them by being just, well, I'll be around you, but I'll be so strange and odd. You don't want anything to do with my Savior. Or maybe in some cases, we spend so much time with each other, which is good and right, and I think that's where most of us live. We live so much time with each other and other believers that we never interact with lost people. And then some people believe that, well, you reach the world by being like the world, you know, and you, and you, and you curse like the world, and you, and you entertain with the entertainments of the world, and that's how I'm going to reach the world, just like them. No, friend. Well, how do you reach them? The way Jesus did. Well, how did he reach them? He loved them, and they knew it. Jesus, what's the, two greatest, what's the, what's the greatest command of all? He said in Matthew 22, Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I'll tell you the second. The second is just like it. Love others as you love yourself. Love your neighbor. Give yourself to other people. Look for avenues to win people to, to the Lord. He was passionate for people. You know, maybe Morris is the only one who needs this, but we need to be constantly reminded we need to be constantly asking God, open my eyes to see the world like you see them. These were priorities in the life of Jesus. In the midst of your busy work schedule, in the midst of you raising kids, in the midst of, of, of uh, trying to get everything done and juggling everything that you do on a day-to-day -day basis, whether you're retired or busy at work, wherever you are in any stage of life, you've got things pulling for your time. Let me ask you, how are you doing with the priorities of Jesus? The private practice of prayer, the place and predominance of the word of God, and the personal passion for people to love them like Jesus loved them. When I was early in the ministry, I was, I was, uh, I was in this driven state of mind, wanting desperately to get everything done on a daily basis. Long before you had a cell phone to, and, and a calendar, and long before you you, you had a, a back in the days of the PDAs when we could put things on PDAs, I had this thing called a three by five card, and I would write down everything I wanted to do during the day. When I got something done, I just scratched it out and I said, "Ha ha! I'm scratching off my list. I'm getting everything done." I live by a little list, and I was working at a church in which we had a lot of people on staff. We had probably about 50, 60 people on staff. We had a Christian school. We had a lot of people involved in there and so forth. And one afternoon, the senior pastor who I work for said, we need to have a staff meeting of everybody. And that wasn't on my schedule. And I didn't want to go to some staff meeting for everybody because I know those things can just go on and on and on. We came into our chapel building and I sat on the front row thinking maybe if he looked at me, I could kind of go, Keep it moving, keep it moving. You know, I wouldn't have done that, but I, mean, I, was, I don't know why. I was sitting out on the front row, and I had my little schedule in front of me of everything I wanted to do. And he started off the staff meeting by saying, well, he said, he said, I've got several things I need to cover with everybody, but he said, before I go any further, he said, maybe we ought to have some testimonies. 
Who'd like to give a testimony about your department, where you work, and, and something that the Lord's doing in your area of the ministry? I'm down there thinking, testimonies. People get to going, and they don't know when to quit. They don't know how to land the plane. It's like, you know, hurry up and finish your testimony. And I was like, I don't have time for testimonies. I'm trying to do things for God. I don't want to do all this. Listen, pastor looked out and he says, yes, Mrs. Wells. Now, Mrs. Wells was a first grade teacher. She was everybody's mother. Uh, she, 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 was, she was a grandmotherly, motherly type of a lady. She was a perfect first grade teacher in our Christian school. And she said, pastor, I had something happen to me today I want to tell everybody about. He said, yes, Mrs. Wells, what is it? She said, well, everybody knows little, and she named a boy, and I'm just going to, I'm going to call him, uh, I'm going to call him, uh, I don't know, Mike. She goes, everybody knows Mike. Now, that wasn't his name, but just for safety reasons, I'll say this. She said, and she gave his full name. Now, we all knew Mike. Mike came from a very troubled home. Mike came from a home in which his dad was an unbeliever. His dad was a drunkard. His dad was painfully abusive to the family verbally, and that's all we knew. But Mike's mother was a believer, and she was doing everything she could to keep her two boys in our Christian school. And Mike was in Mrs. Wells' first grade class. And she said, today, at the very beginning of the day, she said, I, I handed out an assignment, something for the kids to color and, and to, you know, connect the dots. I don't know, something along the line in the first grade. And, and she said, and she said I, I wanted them to work on their papers. And she said, and then I turned on my, at my desk and I was going to work on some things I needed to do. And she said, I told the students, now when you're finished, just put your little pencil down and sit there with your hands there on the desk. She said, in just a matter of seconds after I got them started, she said, Mike was standing right beside me at my desk. And she said, I knew he, there was no way he could have been completed. And, and on top of that, that's not what he was supposed to do. He's supposed to stay seated. And she said, she said, I looked at Mike and I said, Mike, did you not get a paper? He said, yes, ma'am. She said, well, are, are you not feeling very well? Do you need to go see the nurse, school nurse? No, ma'am. Do you need to go to the restroom? No, ma'am. Well, she said, you need to get back to your desk and do your paper that I gave you. Why are you standing here? And I could, you could hear her voice choke at this point as she told all of us on staff. She said, Mike said, Mrs. Wells, please don't make me go back to my desk yet. I just want to stand by somebody that I know loves me boy from a very troubled home she said you're not going to stand there you're going to come over here she grabbed that little boy and she began to hug on him and love on him I looked down at my list and I crumpled it up in my hands and I realized I was letting paperwork get in front of people work now is paperwork important of course but the people we come in contact with need to know I'm here as a representative of the Lord Jesus all of you at work school life and the Lord loves you and he's loving you through me the priorities of Jesus
Are they? You know what revival is? It's not a spooky feeling. You know what a quickening is, as we sung about? It's not some chill bumps going up and down your spine. It's just getting back to the basics. And I think a good thing to look at are the priorities of Jesus and ask yourself, Lord, am I where I need to be? Your priorities, are they mine? Let's bow our heads for prayer.